And that's Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 16 through 23. Nehemiah 4, 16 through 23. Let us hear the words of the Lord. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bow, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I said to the people, let each one and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night, and a working party by day. So neither I nor my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. That is the word of the Lord, and may he bless it to our hearts today. Protection from your enemies. Well, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy of God's people not only mocked the people of God, and they did so in a really degrading manner, they went further. You'll remember they started to make severe and credible threats of murder against Nehemiah, killing the shepherds so that the sheep would be scattered. They even increased their confederacy to make the enemy of God's people even bigger. But rebuilding Jerusalem was critical. It was critical to the worship of God. It was critical for the prosperity and security of God's people. And Nehemiah had to respond. You remember that he prayed. He prayed to God for help. And God reminded him of who he is. And how great his promises were to his children. And he then armed the people for their protection. Now today you will hear the details of how he armed the people, the Jews, for their protection. Remember, prayer is good and we commit ourselves to God for his justice, his revenge. But you must also proceed with actions. That's what we looked at the last time. Words, we pray, Action, they're things we do. So today our headings are three. Protection by weapons, protection by unity, and then protection by day and night. And our goals are that you will learn the art of protection for God's people. So you can be safe to do the work of the Savior. Whose hands we are today in this world. In order that Jesus would get the praise and glory that rightly belongs to him. First we look at the protection by the weapons of the day. 
beginning at verse 16. Now, after the serious, credible threats came against God's people, half of the men were turned into soldiers, military personnel, and half continued to work at repairing the temple. It slowed down the work some, but it was essential for them to do that. The danger was great, and it would have been foolish not being prepared to fight the enemy. These soldiers had to be trained. They had to be well equipped. Having good weapons means nothing unless they were trained to use those weapons. And they were trained. They had spears and shields and bows and whole armor. Realizing that these are offensive and defensive weapons. So an offensive weapon would mean like a, a spear that you would throw. A defensive weapon would be like a shield that was used for protection against outside attack. And they had to have weapons that were comparable or better than what the enemies had. Remember as we'd say, you don't take a gun, a, a knife to a gunfight. You want to make sure you have weapons that could fight. And they did have the weapons to protect themselves. By the way, so much for those who believe that we should be pacifists like some of the Quakers did and, and caused a lot of the troubles we have in Western society today was based on Christian ignorance against self-defense. To get these weapons for the protection of the church and preservation of worship, they also had to invest their own personal money. There was no central government. They had to use their own resources for their protection. And they were willing to do so. And they were, in history, the, the Jews had to arm themselves. Because especially, strange enough, at sowing time, they had to sow with weapons on themselves. Why? Because the Arabs would come and steal their seeds. The seeds that the Jews produced were exceptionally good. And they were often robbed by the Arabs so they could take their seeds and plant them in their own land. So the Jews had some weapons, they had some skill in weapons, and they got the weapons that they needed. And by the way, the, our, our text says that they were young men, um, or my servants. The better word for servants there is young men, because these were young assistants. They weren't servants in the sense that they did whatever you told them, they were slaves, but rather they were supporters of Nehemiah and the people. Now, it's not just that these people were prepared. The soldiers were prepared. Half of them trained and equipped with good weapons, and the other half continued to work on the temple. But they also had the leaders who were standing with them. What a horrible thing it would have been if the leaders said, well, you go out and fight. We'll go up in the mountains where it's cooler. We'll enjoy the nice weather, and we'll enjoy our beautiful homes but you stay there it is notable in our text that the leaders were behind all uh, the house of Judah all those who were fighting they had the support and by the way Josephus who wrote about this history said that Nehemiah would work all day and at night time he would walk around the city to see the progress and plan what the future would be like that's a good leader Leaders are not there for their personal pleasure and advancing their wealth. They're there to serve the people of God. The leaders of the Jews were totally committed. One more thing to add here. We have the leaders. We have the soldiers. We have the builders. But what about the others? What about the women and the children? What did they do? 
Well, you'll find that they had lots of responsibility as well. And one of the things we remember is that those who are staying at home and keeping things together are just as important to the work of the soldiers. That's why we don't say as Christians, we, everyone must be able to do every kind of work. That's why God forbid women from being in the army. They had different duties that they performed and just as essential. Because there would be no families if there were no women. There'd be no one, nothing to fight for if there were no families. So those who stay at home are equally, were equally important as those who were on the battlefield. We move on from verse 17. One half of the people who were building the walls, repairing the walls, they also were armed. There's a little bit of an interesting thing here. Some were full-time soldiers, and even those who were working had their sword strapped to their side. When the text says they had it in their hand, uh, it wouldn't simply mean they had it in their possession, just like you would say, well, I have $10,000 on hand. Well, you, you don't have it on your hand. It means you have it in your possession. So they had their sword even while they were building. So really what they're saying is that the whole workforce was prepared to fight the enemy who was threatening to kill them, to harm or, or remove their security, their prosperity, and the worship of God. And this was not an easy thing to do. They were lifting things, carrying garbage, clearing garbage, carrying stones, mixing mortar. While they were doing that, they were still armed. They had to be ready to fight a quick notice. You see, they all played their part in this. An interesting thing, I remember uh, being in England many years ago, and the pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle, where Spurgeon uh, preached, he took us in the back room. And he started talking about this room. And he said, what was significant about this? He said, this was the power room. I thought it was used for generating power and all of that. He said, no. This is where Spurgeon had the women who would be praying while he was preaching. You see how they were working together? Their face wasn't in front of the people. But they were behind him in his work. And just as essential... As the words that he said were the prayers that were being offered. And that's what we see here. That's what we see here. Nehemiah also said that next to him was a man with a trumpet. A trumpet who would sound the alarm if the enemy attacked. And then other trumpeteers will make sure everyone would hear that as well. The trumpet would sound all around the walls of Jerusalem. Another job. A different type of job that they had in order to protect. So in this case, the weapon was a trumpet. Kind of interesting to see. What can we learn from our first point? First of all, number of lessons. The church needs leaders who are able to recognize threats against the church. So it can take defensive actions to keep everyone safe. Leaders need to recognize the danger of being woke and to explain how to protect against wokeness. You know, one of the great songs of the 1980s was sung 
by that so-called uh, wise woman, Whitney Houston. She said, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. And many people said, yes. Beautiful voice. And people bought into it. I've heard pastors say there are three types of love in the scriptures. Reformed pastors of that. How wicked. We learn to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We take care of ourselves in order to love. And yet that's the kind of thing that has affected the church. If pastors were wise they'd be able to recognize that self-love is listed in the long list of sins for people who will rot in hell. And yet that's what we hear a lot of. Pastors need to be aware. We don't have people coming with guns right now to threaten us. We had some of that during COVID time. We don't have that danger. But we have other more subtle dangers. Where we're fighting against wickedness in high places. How many preachers have adopted and supported socialism? The redistribution of wealth. Where it's the government's job to take care of you from the cradle to the grave. That's another wicked thing that has been around us for no over a hundred years now. And it's become so much part that we send people to the government to take care of them. Too many people have started to like that. That's another danger. It makes us depend upon the state rather than the order that God has established. In short, leaders need to stand behind those who are doing battle against the enemies. But you have to know the danger. And that's why sometimes we uh, self-righteously say, we don't have anything to do with social media. Well, that's probably why people don't always know what their young people are doing and what they're saying and how to be able to answer them. Not too long ago, I had someone who was starting to attend worship in Scarborough. And they're boasting about what the work they were doing after church, how they enjoy themselves. And they went to a restaurant and they talked about the good service and I'm thinking you didn't listen to anything you heard there right if you were there you'd understand that's the day of the rest that's the Sabbath day day in which you should not be doing business and then I was able to correct her and she was sorry and things work there is an effective use now that can yeah, it's true you can waste time there as well but you need to know what's going on in order to protect your people second Spiritual warfare and spiritual work can never be separated. You must practice both. Let me show you what I mean. Don't wait until you are perfect because you are having the spiritual warfare to invite people to your home, which is a spiritual work. The two things can't be separated. Just like the Jews here, they could not separate and said, look, we've got this physical work to do. We have to get this done. They would not have been able to protect the church to have spiritual worship if they just were stuck on one side of things. Don't wait until you're close to God, which is spiritual warfare, to tell others about Jesus. You can tell others about Jesus now, even as you're growing in knowledge. You don't have to wait to have conquered every sin in your life to help other people with their weakness. You with your sin can be an encouragement to others to help them in their troubles. If you wait to be perfect, you will never, ever be able to speak to anyone. If you only focus on your life, which is spiritual warfare, you will not be able to defend the faith. 
You will not be able to talk about Christ and understand the doctrines of scriptures because you're waiting for perfect, perfect spiritual state for yourself. No one will ever reach that state. But you can defend the doctrines of scriptures. You can defend the doctrine of providence and election without being perfect. The thing is you have to work hard at both. You have to work at the spiritual warfare trying to get yourself better. And then you also have to work hard at spiritual work. It's not one or the other. It's both. Third lesson. These Jewish people were just were not just fighting for their families. They were not just fighting for the Jewish state. They were fighting for the world's future. You know, it might have seemed like a little duty that they were performing in the grand scheme of things. I mean, carrying mortar, removing garbage from Jerusalem. But it was, the foundation, it was foundational for Jerusalem to be kept from being overrun by these wicked men. Because from there, Jesus would come to die for the sins of the world. So whether you're making coffee, or whether you're entertaining a pastor who's visiting, or whether you're inviting a neighbor, some things many people don't even get to see, you're still playing your part in the grand kingdom of Jesus Christ. He sees. He will reward you for the work that you do. So what these people were doing was ultimately not just for the security of Jerusalem, but it was for eternal security that's found in Jesus Christ. When he defeated the enemies, when he died on the cross. And you too are fighting for the world's future when you play your part as that body. Now, how many people give credit to a big toenail? And yet, it's important for you to walk, isn't it? And so whatever part you play, You'll be ready to do it. But let's look at the second point. Protection by unity. Protection by unity. There's protection by weapons. And we have to have the weapons in hand in, it in order to do it. But in, duty, it's in unity now. Verses 19 and 20. The Jews were working at various points in the wall. They couldn't all work at the same spot. It would be too crowded. So in wisdom. They, wherever the wall was damaged. The people were spread out. So that they could do the work better. But the work was hard. And it was tiring. And they were separated from each other. And so Nehemiah appointed trumpeters. He had one with himself. And they had one, according to Josephus, they were about 150 meters apart from each other. There was always somebody with a trumpet. So if the enemy attacked there, then they would be able to blow. And it's interesting because in the scriptures you have trumpeters for two significant or three significant occasions. The beginning of war, the end of war, and ultimately we see at the end of times. At this time they had the two then, beginning of war and end of war. And the sound was very distinct. So the people when they heard a particular sound would say, it's time to get ready for war. And they would rally together, come together in unity so that they could fight. So in one hand they were distinct, separated, and yet they were together because they had the same goal in mind. There was unity of purpose for the protection and the promotion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle Paul said in a spiritual sense, 1 Corinthians 14.8, For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare? Who will prepare himself for battle? And here they had that very distinct sound that brought them all together. Nehemiah assured the Jews too that through their work and through their preparation, even as they did all of these things, even as they had their weapons, even as each one played his part in constructing the, the temple, even as they heard the sound and the right sound of the trumpet being blown, he said, ultimately, it is God who will fight for us. Interesting, isn't it? Because God uses means when it pleases him. God could have destroyed the enemies. He could have zapped them. He did that in the past. He caused confusion so they killed themselves. The Syrian army, the Midianite army, he did that before. But God is often pleased to use means. And he recognized that this is the work of God. Joshua 10, 10, 20, uh, 42 says, All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. He was the leader of the army. He was known as the, the military general. And yet he said it was God who was fighting for them. What can we learn from the second point? First of all, churches must work together in unity. It doesn't mean you have to agree on every point of doctrine. But you can work together with other churches for the common good of defending the church of Jesus Christ. And promoting the building of his kingdom. Look how many churches have worked together on pro-life causes. You're taking up money for one. There are people there who have different views on some of the subjects. But you have a common goal. You're working to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so you can work together with others. You can help together with others. If there's a natural disaster, you want to help people, you're willing to work with people from other churches. You can work together to protect the persecuted church. You often hear me pray about that because they are our brothers and sisters. And some of them may have a little strange doctrine here and there. They may not understand the Reformed faith. But we know they believe in Jesus Christ. They trust in him for salvation. And it is our duty to write letters to support them, to encourage them, to support those who are supporting them, to pray for them. If you don't, you're not playing your part. You're like one at home who's sleeping instead of being involved and supporting those who are doing the work. Second, not only must churches work together in unity, what is it that calls them to this? What did the Apostle Paul do? Uh, sorry, uh, Nehemiah did, and the Apostle Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians. He talks about pulling people together by preaching of the gospel. Preachers are the sounders of the trumpet of God to give clear warnings to the people so there's no ambiguity. That's what good preachers would do. I must confess there are many preachers. They're not willing to stand up and speak clearly on topics. One of the brothers who recently died in a large church in New York City. Being challenged on television to talk about evolution. Well, oh, I've never seen a bigger waffler. Now he's a dear saint of God for sure. But he's not willing to sound clear. God said... He made the world in six days and all very good. 
or that homosexuality is a perversion of God's law and if you don't change that lifestyle you'll spend eternity in hell. Couldn't bring himself to speak like that. We need to be clear in our sounding of what sin is and call that out. That's what the sound of the trumpet, that's why that was so precise. The beginning of war and the end of war had to be very different. Otherwise, it could be deadly. If you don't come to church to hear preaching, if you are careless about it, it's like sticking your finger in your ears and there's a siren going off. I put fire in the building. You wouldn't know what to do either. You wouldn't know where to go. You wouldn't know where the exits are. And guess what will happen? You and your fellow Christians will be in danger. There's one more thing. I talked about that third trumpet. One was the beginning of war. One's the end of war. They had a few others like for the year of Jubilee. But the final trumpet will sound one day when all God's people will gather together. But it will not be the sound of beginning of war. It will be like the sound of the end of war. It will be the end of all spiritual wars. Be no more sickness, no more temptation, no more death. It will be the signal of eternity. That's when we will say hallelujah. That will be our response. We don't have to grab weapons to fight anymore. Because all the battle will have been. All the battles will have been won by then. Until that day though. We do have the call to sound the trumpet of God. About the wars that are taking place in this world. So the lost will come and find a place of safety. They will rally together with the people of God. And find comfort in times of trouble. Well there's one more thing to look at. We have the weapons. Protection by the weapons of course. And then we have the protection by unity. There's one more protection that they needed. In order to continue the work that God had called them to do. That's verse 21. Starting there, Nehemiah went one step further to preserve the city so God's people would get social, economic, and spiritual security. He made sure there were large numbers of guards ready during the day till late in the evening when the stars came up. There were always security. And then verse 22, Nehemiah then ordered men from the villages to stay in Jerusalem to preserve the work they were doing and to prevent an invasion by the enemies at night. This also helped them that they did not have to travel to work every morning, which was their normal practice, to come from the surrounding villages to come into Jerusalem to work. Of course, it was uncommon for others to fight at night, but Nehemiah did not trust these enemies. They had shown themselves to be great deceivers. And he had, they had to be prepared day and night. And he said, I want you to stay here, not go home, in order that we might be ready if they attacked at night. In those extraordinary times, Jews had to be temporarily separated from their families outside of Jerusalem. You know, this, those fathers had to miss special times with their kids. Even their wives and, and their mothers. But it was a sacrifice of freedom in order to serve others. 
No, even the residents of Jerusalem were separated from their loved ones because they were called to work. And they worked from sunup to sundown. And in order to do this great work, the men always had to be ready, not even taking time to change their clothes, except when they had to wash themselves. Imagine what that was like. It was hot. It wasn't uncommon to have 40 degree temperature then during the day. But they didn't stop to think about that. The work was great and important. So they had to sleep in their work clothes, literally. And they had to do so because they were working day and night. There are three quick lessons here. First of all, Christian kingdom building demands self-denial. Whatever task you may have, it starts with self-denial. Love demands that you put others before yourself. And sometimes you have to be without your husband for a while. Everyone who's an elder, uh, elder's wife or deacon's wife knows, uh, knows this. But there are times when children have to give up the time with their dads. Or sometimes with their mothers if they have particular tasks to do. Now it should not be the common practice. But sometimes it's essential for the good of the body. Someone is in trouble. And you have to respond. Sometimes you as a father might have to be without your family in order to do the kingdom work. God will reward all those who make these sacrifices, those at home and those who are doing battle. Now your father might not be the happiest when he comes back because they've been dealing with a discipline matter in church and no one comes back smiling after that. You might think, what's wrong? understand the difficulties of the work. We might not sleep with our work clothes on, but we speak with the worries on when we have to deal with difficulties in the church. And sometimes you have to deny yourself something that would otherwise be a good thing to have. Second, be weary in the work you have to do, but never be weary of the work you have to do. You can get tired doing this work. You can get tired if you work as a teacher, a catechism teacher, or just taking care of the church building or any work that you do. You could get tired in the work, but don't get tired of the work because all is essential. You know, the heart doesn't say, look, I'm tired. I've been beating since conception. I don't want to go on anymore. No, you still have to work. Third the personal the question then comes, how much are you willing to give up for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? And what's the answer? It's not how nice the people are outside. It's remembering what Christ has done for you. That's the answer. That's what motivates you in terms of what you're willing to give up. If you are not willing to give up, things for Christ, you have to under, think to yourself, how much have I understood what Christ has done for me? You see, if you understand the cross, sacrificing for others becomes easier. You have eternal life. You have your name written in heaven. You've been giving, given a new record. 
you will spend eternity in the presence of the God of the universe. That is the motivation for serving others and sacrificing now. Let's conclude. God's people were protected by their weapons. There was nothing wrong with that. Self-defense is a command from God. To allow yourself to be killed is to hate your family. It's not a noble thing. Go ahead, kill me. You have a responsibility because love for your family should be greater. And that's why God said, get them in armed, get them well trained, get them weapons with which they could fight. Then God protected them by their unity. He had those trumpets rallying them together. He had them separated in particular jobs, but they could come together quickly to fight. And yet it was the Lord who ultimately protected them. That protection helped them to be secure and prosper as they waited for the true protector, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come. What should you leave here today with? First of all, learn to work for the protection of Christ's church. Do this by knowing the word of God well. If you don't read the Bible every day, you're probably weak. You're not well armed. You're like those who are you're taking a, a knife to a gunfight. Listen to good preaching. There's a whole lot available now. Go on sermon audio. They have millions of sermons. And then stick together. Stick together, holding each other accountable. Making sure that each one is doing his job. Encourage each other to do, each one to do his job. What will make you do this? Remember how valuable you are to the church of Christ. He paid for his church with his life. He paid for you with his life. Knowing this will motivate you to care for her. Forgetting this will make you care less. You won't care whether the church continues or not. You won't care what's happening in the church. If you just show up whenever it's convenient for you, you don't understand much about the work of Christ. God's your father, the church is your mother to nourish and to care for you. The father's always in control of all things. He's the head. The mother is there to help. And then third, work at convincing those who oppose the, who oppose the church of the danger they are in outside of the church and the blessing of being inside. In other words, evangelize. Help them so they're welcome to join. Help the enemies to know they can become part of God's family. Never stop. You see, the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. The weapons of the warfare are the word of God and the spirit of God. And you have to be able to use the sword of the spirit in order to conquer the enemies of God. May God help you to do that. And if you're not a Christian, you might think about the good security system you have in your home and the advanced warning systems you have in your car. Or maybe that offer some good degree of protection. Well, what protection do you have for your soul for eternity? The only protection you have for your soul for eternity is to know that Jesus paid the price 
for your soul by dying on the cross. Accept what Jesus did and live. Reject it and die.